You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. This is a weekly devotion about what is going on in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I am Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor at Cornerstone, and this is January 2018. And if you were with us for the Bible Through the Year uh, podcast in 2017, I just want to let you know that this is going to be a little bit different this year. Last year, the podcast was aimed at primarily just supplementing our church's reading through the Bible. And I know that for many of you, it was very helpful. Uh, All that content is still available on our website. All of the podcasts as well as the PDFs can be found there. So if you even want to do that again or encourage a friend to do that, all of those resources are still available to you. But this year, I want this podcast to focus on really the life of the church. I want to focus in on some of the ministries of the church, what's going on in the church, Uh, We're going to focus heavily upon community groups in the weeks to come as we're going to be reading a book together and I'll be discussing it with other leaders, other community group leaders in the church. But I also just want this to be an opportunity for our people at Cornerstone to get to know their ministry leaders, especially their staff. We are a, a staff of three at this time. Myself, the preaching pastor, I've been here for almost eight years. We have another individual who's been serving for almost two years named Kenan Prophet. He is our communications director. We'll be talking to Kenan in the next couple of weeks. And then I have with me today, I have Cody Hickman with me, who has been serving on staff as our minister of music, both as an interim and now as a part-time minister of music since uh, December of 2016. So Cody, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. And, and what I'd like to do with Cody and Kenan and others along the way is just to have them tell us a little bit about themselves. And so, Cody, how long have you been in the church? How long have you been at Cornerstone? I've been at Cornerstone since the August of 2015. That's a good a good two and a half years you've been here with us. So tell, me, tell us a little bit about how you found the church and your involvement in the church just as a member and as a tender. I first heard of the church um, actually when I was uh, at the church I was formerly at from one of the members who is now currently also attending Cornerstone. And it was about the time that I kind of really began to come into Reformed theology. I just started attending there in August, uh, just kind of visiting. And I was so impressed by the teaching, by the community, by the people and you know, not only the wealth of knowledge, but also just the wealth of love and hospitality that was there. I mean, even from like the first day and just getting to talk with people. I was convicted pretty early on that that was going to be the place that I was going to want to pursue membership and be a part of. Yeah, Cornerstone has been a great church for for me and for my family. And some of the reasons you've already stated that everywhere you turn, we've got very capable, very qualified teachers and leaders, uh, some former pastors, very well-educated men. But with all of that wealth of knowledge, there's also a, a very genuine love and a humility among them, which has, for me and in my experience, has made Cornerstone a very unique place, but a very welcoming place. Tell us a little bit about your involvement in music. Well, when I first got here in 2015, I believe we were still in the, the elder rotation right. as far as leading music on Sundays. I actually appreciated just kind of getting back to something that was just a little bit more simple, kind of theologically driven music. But as... Time went on, and we had talked, and there was becoming a, I guess, kind of a, a greater thrust and kind of building on the music ministry. And having come from a situation where I had been involved with um, my former church's music ministry for probably, uh, probably at least six years. Okay, so you had a lot of experience in music ministry specifically. 
uh, prior to coming to Cornerstone. Yes. Okay. We had a wonderful man who served as our music minister. He's still a member of the church. He's still a deacon in the church. And he served for 17 years as our volunteer music minister and did a wonderful job. But just the demands of life really um, caused him to have to set that aside. And in that time, the elders, four different elders, rotated through uh, leading our corporate worship gathering. The goal all along when Dan stepped down, the goal all along was to find someone to fill his position, someone with gifting, someone with the kind of character of a, of a minister of the gospel, and, and someone who knew more about you know Cornerstone Baptist Church than just, hey, there's this church down the road. We wanted... We want to maintain the unity of the body, and we understand that when you bring on new pastors, new ministers, there's an opportunity for unity to be disrupted. And so we were really slow in that process. We were really careful in that process. And so you kind of saw us at the beginning stages of that. Once the transition began to happen and we just didn't find the right candidate, I ended up leading that for a short time, and you jumped on board. Tell us a little bit about that. That For about six months, you were involved in the music ministry, not in leadership, but Tell us about that. I would say I was, I was very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. When you're probably thinking about church the way you should, it's there's only so long that you can sit and recuperate on the sidelines before you're ready to jump Get back, back in the game, it. right? You're ready to serve, yeah. I was very happy and enthusiastic um, for the opportunity and to be able to get in there and um, use talents and gifts for that. And I really liked the direction it was going at front. I liked the, um, I like even in in that, just in that particular ministry of the church, the the emphasis there was on um, community within that group, uh, ministry within that group, and kind of the say, sanctified camaraderie that yeah. <laughs> grew out of that. But also just um, even kind of in adopting the, even though we don't use it exclusively, in adopting the new hymn book, the Hymns of Grace. Yeah, changing out hymn books in a yes. church can be problematic, <laughs> right? So that was, uh, the Hymns of Grace, by the way, has been a wonderful resource that we've utilized. And it, and we don't utilize it exclusively, but it's definitely been one that we've enjoyed using. Just turning through the pages and reading the lyrics to the music, um, old and new, it's commitment to, to more theologically driven hymns, theologically driven lyrics and words to the songs, while still maintaining somewhat a, a higher art form, too, even in that, in the poetry and also in the yeah, music. So a theologically driven hymn book. That is that's a novel <laughs> concept. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, okay, so you became our interim music minister in December, I think like a week or two before our big Christmas program. Uh, but really, I mean, you, you took over that role, um, you know, the, the beginning of this, this past year, 2017, and you did a wonderful job. Uh, you became our official music minister, I think, in the second quarter of the year, and you've been serving there. So what's, what's that transition been like, uh, going from just being a guy who was in the ministry, um, you know, participating to the guy who's leading it, to the guy who's been affirmed by the church, right? That's what we do when we call a, a minister to take over an area of ministry. The church affirmed you and set you aside and said, we're going to entrust this ministry to you. What What's that transition been like, if you could share with us a little bit? It's been a very humbling experience. Um, it's given me so much greater context in into which I think about things now, and especially when you consider the the people you're serving, the people you're leading. You're not just shepherding a faceless group of people. You're shepherding your brothers and sisters. You're caring for them. You're helping them. You're serving them. Uh, when it, whether it's through preaching or through you know ordering a song service that hopefully will 
uh, stir their affections for Christ, confront them over their sin at times, help them to find their joy in the freedom they have in Jesus. I mean, all of those things. You're you're not just talking to that or, or working with that nameless group of people. These are people you know and love. And the more you get to know them, obviously in some ways that's going to make ministry easier, but in some ways it's going to make it harder. It's going to make it a little more challenging. But let me just say this. I think you've done a fabulous job for us in 2017. You've, you've taken the reins of that ministry and you've done it with a lot of humility and an intense amount of preparation. Uh, I get to see some of the behind the scenes. I get to see how much you work. Um, I get to hear about and have conversations about how much you put into thinking through. I mean, you don't just choose songs that all have the same word in them on a Sunday morning. Um, that's maybe that's part of what we do, but what you do is you craft a worship experience where we, we when we gather together as the people of God, we're going to experience God's grace. We're going to be reminded of His truth. We're going to be guided in an understanding of the story arc of Scripture. We're going to be reminded of our need to confess our sin regularly, but on the very tail end of that, we're going to be remembering that the blood of Christ covers the sins of those who are His. And so you do that hard work every week. And one of the things I want you to talk to us a little bit about today in this session is what, what is the foundation for what you do? What is it that drives that ordering of a liturgy? What motivates you? Well, primarily, it's the glory of God. Yeah. <laughs> the foundation for everything we should do for our entire lives ought to be theology. And not just theology in some abstract form, but theology as it has presented itself in the scriptures. The scriptures ultimately give us the foundation for all of life and practice and the way we understand God and the way we understand ourselves. And just as God has not left us in the dark or left us without expectations in regards to many other little matters of life, uh, worship is no different from that. In many, well, I can't say in many ways, I say in all ways, our worship needs to flow out of our understanding of God, which is found in Scripture. There is a lot of confusion to a certain extent about this in our Christian culture. Of course, a confusion uh, about the things that should motivate us in worship, corporate worship? Yes, and part of that has to do with some theological foundations that go into that as we see those in different churches, uh, different ministry contexts. Um, some of it's valid and some of it's not. And yeah. I mean, it is gonna. there are going to be some differences, especially as you go across cultures and the way that fleshes itself out. Well, our context is the South, right? I mean, we're, we're right here in the middle of uh, the Metroplex, Dallas Metroplex in Texas. The context that I've grown up in around worship is is really not been as theologically driven as you're suggesting. It's been um, far more traditional that we do things not because Bi the Bible tells us to do those things, or we do things not because the Scripture requires them of us, or even guides us in them. We do them because, well, we've always done them. And they flow out of some tradition. We would just call the revivalistic tradition. Uh, you know, on the heels of the Second Great Awakening. That's really what has formed our traditional understanding of corporate worship. But then you also have really this consumer idea that I think has crept into the church in, in many, many ways. And it just came through the front doors and it, it has started attacking itself or attaching itself to, to the corporate worship, where corporate worship became something that, well, we just do what, what feels good to us. We do what we like. Is there anything wrong with us having preferences when it comes to worship? Well, and I guess we're kind of getting into some of the age-old debates about, you know, what, what are the principles that guide what goes into 
you know, what we do when we meet together as a corporate body in particular. Mm-hmm. We have a, uh, well, I'd say besides our natural sinful inclination to just pretty much seek after our own preferences, mm-hmm. we can do that to a fault. Um, I don't think necessarily having preferences is a bad thing. I think you would have to cease to exist to not have preferences. Sure, sure. Um, but there is a place for them. And, you know, especially a lot of the worship issues that have occurred and that are still very much alive and well in, in certain places have been just over those preferences. You know, what style should we use? Should we use old hymns? Should we use older music? Should we use newer music? Should we use pianos, organs, guitars, or none no. of the above? Yeah. And I think what we've done, or the, even the way it's still kind of being done to a certain extent, is we fail to go to the scriptures. Yeah. We've, whether we've done it, you know, consciously or subconsciously, we're still largely just kind of depending on what we want to do. And even in other cases, we're just allowing the, the culture or just different trends in Christianity to determine what we're going to do. Yeah. Probably maybe the further underlying issue is maybe just that we haven't really thought about worship in biblical terms to the point that it has just become this um, very subjective kind of definition or experience that it, it doesn't really have any grounding. It just has to do with, you know, how we you know, how, how we just uh, motivate ourselves to a certain extent to want to praise God or, or different things like that. That's kind of simplistic. But. No, I think preferences come, come into play in that way, right? We don't, a lot of times you'll even hear that, uh, that worship is not uh, what we call our liturgy, which is just an older term for the, you know, the work of the people. Um, when I was growing up in Baptist life, we called it an order of service. And, and that phrase itself, it, it lets us know what we're doing. We are ordering our service to one another and to the Lord. Right. And yet today we talk about worship as being an experience, not a service. And it's an experience that we sit back and receive. It's a, it's a consumer-driven model when we do that. And it's just very subtle. We don't even realize that. But we talk about a worship experience. This is not just our experience of sitting in the chair and consuming. This is our gathering together with the people of God and serving one another and serving the Lord. I mean, it's worship. What are, or what is a definition, if a working definition of a theology of worship that can help us understand why we do what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings? Personally, one of my favorite definitions that I've come across was uh, penned by D.A. Carson. And I'll I'll go ahead and read that. Yeah, go ahead. It's very long. It's very thorough. But honestly, with with all the different considerations that go into it, I think it's it's very welcome. Okay. Okay, D.A. Carson says that worship is the proper response of all moral, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator, God, precisely because he is worthy. Delightfully so. That's important. This side of the fall, human worship of God properly responds to the redemptive provisions that God has graciously made. While all true worship is God-centered, Christian worship is no less Christ-centered. Empowered by the Spirit and in line with the stipulations of the New Covenant, it manifests itself in all our living, finding its impulse in the Gospel, which restores our relationship with our Redeemer God and therefore also with our fellow image-bearers, our co-worshippers. Such worship therefore manifests itself both in adoration and in action, both in the individual believer and in corporate worship, 
which is worship offered up in the context of the body of believers, who strive to align all the forms of their devout descriptions of all worth to God with a panoply of new covenant mandates and examples that bring to fulfillment the glories of antecedent relation, uh, revelation and anticipate the consummation. So that's a mouthful of a definition, but it's so rich, right? I mean, just going back to the very first line, worship is the proper response of all moral, sentient beings. That puts the focus on we are the ones doing the worshiping. God is the one receiving worship. It's not an experience where we're consuming. It's very much an experience where we're servants, right? Mm -hmm. We're coming to God. We're responding to God, ascribing honor and worth to our Creator because He is worthy of it. Right, delightfully think, so. Yeah. You said, yeah. No, and I think, I think if we understood that itself at the front, that would begin to clean up a lot of some of the messes that we can often make. Um, just because in certain cases, you know, and not to, you know, just so we can kind of bring it back the other way, and you know, not dog on some of the other trends, we can just as easily, you know, kind of be blind to our own failures to do that. Sure. If there's an underlying theology that's guiding this whole thing. Preferences have a place, but it's not the primacy of place. The primacy of place is focusing on God and responding to Him appropriately. And we do that. We want to do that. And he even says this in his definition. We want to do that in appropriate ways, in, pl- in ways that are guided by Scripture. So our, our worship is... I, maybe I can throw out a definition here. Worship is focusing on God and responding to Him. But there are some principles that guide it, right? I mean, worship should be Christ-centered. He says that you know, all worship should be God-centered, but as Christians, our worship is particularly Christ-centered. We come to God through Christ and through the cross. Right. Uh, so our worship should be Christ-centered. That means that our focus should not, should not exclude the gospel in any place. But maybe there's another one. Maybe we should say that our, our worship should be not only Christ-centered, but it should also be biblical. What are the principles that you would see as being important in our in within that scope of theology of worship? I would say probably the, the, the primary thing we ought to do is the things that we do when we gather together. I say particularly when we gather together because there is a difference, in, even in Carson's definition, between the purposes or even the um, what's all encompassed in individual worship as compared to when we meet together corporately as a body. Because there's going to be some different things there. Yeah. Not to say that there's not overlap, because there certainly is. But when we meet together as a church body, on our Sunday mornings or otherwise, we're meeting together for a purpose. We're serving God. We're serving God, yeah. We're giving Him the honor and worth that He is due by His very nature of being God. So our primary purpose when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we gather as the people of God to uh, encourage one another, um, to catch up with one another. Not not just that. When we gather together as the people of God, we're there to worship Him, to serve Him, to respond to Him. How should this? How should our people think about this? How should you and I think about it? But how should our people be thinking about worship? I'll say two things. One, we are not free to worship God any which way we choose. But what's interesting in that is that in the same sense is uh, that all of life is rightly called worship. Yeah. I mean, everything we do is worship. And honestly, that is the end to which we were saved was the worship God, you know, as John 4, or Jesus says in John 4 that the Father is seeking people to worship himself. And we certainly, among the believed, are the people he has chose to do that. So what that means as far as just in, in very practical terms, responding not only to God and, and to a degree that is 
that is appropriate to who he is, but with full obedience, with full devotion, and understanding that in, in that obedience and in that showing of faith to God, that in itself is, in the broadest, in a broader sense, I should say, a very act of worship itself. Yeah. It's ascribing to God the honor and glory that is due him. Um, even though that's not the fullest definition, that is one of the ways in which that definition works itself out. Ascribing to God the honor and glory that is due him. So you're telling me that worship is not about me. The, es- the essence of worship for us is gathering with the people of God and ascribing to our God glory and honor and praise. Yes. So much of what we look for, I'd say people at large, they typically attend with the expectation to a certain extent and of having their their preferences satisfied. Right. I mean, there's going to be an extent where we do go to church to receive, but we need to understand the context in which that occurs. We, we go to the church to receive from the Lord. Yeah. And... In, in that way that even the worship we ascribe to the Lord and the ways in which he's given that are a gift from him. Right. Because we need to worship him. Yeah. Um, we need to go and gather with our fellow brothers and sisters each week to have them, you know, pour into our in our lives as one of the means of grace that God has given us. Ultimately, the satisfaction that we ought to see and that we ought to, we ought to seek and that we ought to expect from our worship services is not any sinful satisfaction. Mm-hmm. The satisfaction that comes from the joy and the satisfaction we have in the sufficiency of God himself. Yeah. Well, thank you, Cody, for sharing with us a little bit more about uh, the, the foundation underneath the work that you do as our minister of music, but also the, the uh, not experience of worship, but the service of worship that we get to render to God every week. I thank you for your efforts, your labor. And, and just for your friendship. So um, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Or you could just drop on in to Cornerstone Baptist Church at 1399 Elm Drive in Wiley, Texas on any Sunday morning between 9 and 11. We'd love to have you worship with us. You can serve the Lord together. Thanks for listening.